Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. I'm going to ask that you stand for the reading of the Word today. Matthew, reading chapter 20, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. We've emphasized that passage before. Not so with you. It's supposed to be different. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, I pray your anointing upon your word to our hearts and to our minds, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We began a series last week. It's only in three parts, and so we're almost done, guys, at this one today. Um, it's entitled Jesus Traits, three traits that um, permeated Jesus' life and ministry. The first one we talked about last week was Scripture, uh, especially quoting out of the Old Testament, obviously, but, but Jesus quoted Scripture a lot. And so the Old Testament still has relevancy for us, but also Scripture and the importance of Scripture. He was constantly referring to it and, and drawing that as a baseline to explain his purposes and what motivated or, or the values by which he went by. Today I want to talk to you about a second trait uh, of Jesus, and that is that of servanthood. Um, I want to begin this by um, highlighting something for you. There is, if you've ever gone to Washington, D.C. before, you will go um, at the Capitol and outside the Capitol and at the reflecting pool, you'll find what is one of the most massive monuments uh, in Washington, D.C. It's the absolute largest monument to any um, military figure uh, in, in history as an individual. Um, this is just one position of it. Another picture will give you a broader view of it. That's all the monument there. There's things to the right, things to the left, all the way through. Uh, it is the, the, the tallest equestrian, which is horse riding type um, monument in the United States. It's the fifth largest in the entire world. And it's um, to commemorate or honor or recognize uh, the great general, the one who won the Civil War, who managed to keep us united even more so probably than, than Lincoln would be, and that is Ulysses S. Grant. And so uh, one other quick shot of it real fast. Again, this is just a massively large, well-positioned, in the center of what's taking place. You just can't miss this monument. I want you to mark that in your mind, and then I want to take you past that into something else. So mark that one. And then I want to walk you through this trait that was central to Jesus. Um, Matthew chapter 12, 
going beyond where we were at. The one we just talked about in Matthew chapter 20 is talking about uh, there was a time when the, 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 young, the guys were arguing all the time about who's the greatest, who's the best. Um, they were always fighting even amongst themselves about that. And Jesus addressed them, says, that's not how you're supposed to be. And he tried to say, there's the way the culture operates and there's the way of the kingdom of God. There's the way that the world operates, and there's the way that the church is supposed to be, and people who follow me are supposed to be. And um, he's trying to challenge them on that. This whole concept of being a servant permeated what he did. With this was a sense of humility and, and not a boastfulness. Now, in Matthew chapter 12, it was part of his teaching. This is just one of multiple examples that you're going to find in Jesus. Um, he was healing a man who had a, a, a damaged uh, hand. So he restores him. Uh, the Pharisees are grumbling. Um, aware of all this in verse 15, he withdrew from that place. And a large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. So a whole bunch of people got healed more than what we we're just seeing here. But then he says this, he warned them not to tell others about him. Now, you might think, well, that's because he's afraid. No, Jesus wasn't afraid of the Pharisees or what was going to be the case. Because we know, because of what he says next, he warned them not to tell others about them. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And then as quoted, Jesus goes to the scripture, and it's Isaiah chapter uh, 42. And it's very interesting, because this passage is the first of four passages in Isaiah called the servant songs. And they're talking about the Messiah and they're talking about how he will come as a servant. And this in chapter 42 of Isaiah, 49, chapter 50, and chapter 52. And so this is the first of them. And so linked to as to why he didn't want others to hear about what he was doing, there's no fear. Instead, he, it's, it's, he's going to verse 42, chapter 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, or Messiah, in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him. He'll bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. He's not going to draw attention to himself and demand certain things. And I, this is a favorite line of mine always. A, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he'll not snuff out. So a bruised reed, he's not going to come along, oh, that's useless, and snap it off. Or the wick's just kind of, he's not going to blow it out. It talks about the fragility of who we are as individuals and that even in our damaged state, God finds something to, to revive or to heal. In faithfulness, he'll bring forth justice. He'll not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law, the lands and the islands will put their hope. So Jesus isn't, isn't saying don't say anything because he's fearful. He's saying don't say anything because that's not the way of the servant. I'm coming in a way that is not to draw attention to myself, but to point attention to God. There's not to be a, a boastfulness in what I do. Um, this is supposed to be something private. This is supposed to be something that is, that is um, uh, again, just, it's just not the way we operate. Now, this is very contrary. If you've seen what's happened in the last decade or so of our society, it used to be in this nation that humility was a positive trait. That if anyone was boastful and pointing themselves, we, he, would be, he or she would be rejected. That's not it. Today, that's how you win viewers. That's how you get points. That's how you get a raise or anything else. It's, it's drawing attention. It's all about themselves. But that's contrary to what Jesus is talking about. This is throughout his whole teaching. I can go to many cases here, but I'll just draw that one. I want you to understand that Jesus begins with the concept of servanthood, and we're going to see that he ends 
with the same thing. This is why I'm saying it's a trait. We're not just pulling out something that was a dabbling issue. Scripture was a trait all through his ministry. Servanthood was a trait all through everything of what he was doing. And even at the very beginning, because we go to Philippians chapter 2. And this first passage, incidentally, um, I think it's three, four and, uh, 3 and 4 and 5, yeah, are at the beginning as a preamble in our constitution and bylaws as a church. When we rewrote those uh, 15, 20 years ago or something like that, we felt this passage was so important as to how a church is to operate that we put that right in the preamble before we got into all the ways of how things are to organize and function and operate. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Notice there is no exception clause to this. It's saying do what? Nothing. Don't do anything. Nada, nothing, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, there's a healthy ambition. I I want to do this or achieve this that's healthy. But then there's a selfish ambition where the thing that I'm doing is really just a vehicle to draw attention to me and get what I want. I've seen people enter into ministry with that mindset. They're not there to serve others. They're not there to point towards God. It's strictly a vehicle for their own advancement and, and, and going up the ladder or achieving certain things of what they want to achieve. And the scripture's saying here, flat out, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Nothing. Or vain conceit. Look into yourself. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And then it relates it. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And before we go any further, stop right on this. Realize if this scripture alone was implemented within the church and really embraced as a model and a motto for each one of us, how it would transform not just this church, but the surrounding uh, environment. That was a singular voice. This would transform the church if we all said, I'm not going to do things. I'm not going to look to myself. I'm going to trust others. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to put things into others' thinking. I, I, I'm going to throw this out here real quick. We, we, as a people in this country, have shifted to a consumer mindset. We are consumers. And that has entered into the church in the same way. We're consumers. We're not servants any longer. We're entitled we have expectations. We're paying for things. I had one person, well, I'm not going to go there. Let's leave that one alone. But we become consumers and not servants. What this means is this. Consumers devour. Servants deliver. Consumers are self-centered. Servants are other-centered. Consumers chase after trends in the latest fashions. Servants chase after Christ. This is an important distinction. But we get entitled. We get to thinking that, that there are certain things that, that are ours. And we have rights. Because after all, we've been in this church for 50 years. Some of us think we've been in this church for 70 years. The church is only 53 years old. But we think we've been here for 70 years. Some of us think because we hold a position or we contribute so much or, or because we're so charming and darn good looking that we deserve certain things more than the next person. Now, it's not as much this way anymore. We've lightened up a lot. But it used to be, and there are still moments, 
that I could find anyone in this church mentally by just where they sit because they sit in those same seats every time. And we get used to that and entitled to those seats. And so sometimes when someone else has come 15 minutes early, just a thought, and we've come, and we've come at 10 after, and we find someone in our seat that we are shocked, amazed, perplexed, and disturbed. This is our space, and you're standing here, and we don't know what to do. So we just stand there, and we stare at them, and we, we, we stare long enough hoping that they'll disappear. And then when they don't get the message, and they don't disappear, then some of the more spiritual of us, we drop to our knees, and we pray, oh God, just, just destroy them, consume them with fire, and release my seat unto me, thou servant. And, and so we process things this way. Don't ever come to me with a consumer's mindset. You will be so bitterly disturbed at my reaction to that. It's just not godly. Christ talks about being a servant. I'll be honest, I forget about this sometimes. I was thinking about this past week. There's a, a, a hotel room in a certain place I go to that, it, that just this room really is the room I need because it has the view that I've just, I've scoped it out over decades of time and it's just this view. And so I'll call ahead of time and say, hey, can you just make sure that room's available and stuff like that? And they're usually good about it and stuff like that. But I, I thought about this week and I thought, I haven't called, I should call. And then I thought, well, what happens if I, if I get there and they've given the room to somebody else? And so I have to be in a different room other than that perfect room. And how I'd respond. And, and, and I had to realize that I, I wouldn't respond well. Because I'm paying for that room. I'm a consumer. Oh, that's just for the church, though. You see, that's just here that I do. I practice that. That's not supposed to be in my marriage. It's not supposed to be in my workplace. It's certainly not supposed to be for people that I pay to serve me, like hotel people and, and you know, those waitresses and waiters, you know. Give them a tough look. They're serving me. I'm paying for it. So I thought of that, and I thought, man, I, 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 had, I had one trip where some things got scrambled up that way, and I had two days before I get my head on straight. Now, granted, those are my times to really try to get space away, but the reality is I didn't function well for two days, and it was wrong. It's not just in church. It's not just in marriages. It's supposed to be also in the places that we frequent. Do our bosses view us as servants, or do they view us as vainly ambitious? Is it all about us and our agenda? Or do we serve even those who lead us or operate. Social media, we're idiots. The, the church have, has lost its mind in the last couple of years. And so we get into arguments and we discuss things on social media like we're going to change anyone's mind. It's the dumbest place to have a discussion. We identify with one politician or one cause or another and then we'll fight someone tooth and nail over it and we're not exhibiting servanthood. It's our entitlement. It's our right as an American. That's kind of a hick view of American. Okay. Until we release our entitlement, we'll never be empowered to do what we're supposed to do. Until we release that. Jesus is talking about, at the very beginning before even ministry is discussed, Peter saying in Philippians, don't do anything out of selfish ambition, vain conceit. And then it says, look, we're supposed to be like Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, you don't get any higher okay, in reality, than God. So at the top of the pole here, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made into human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we find at the very beginning, before he even starts ministry, first of all, back to the prophets, the four servant stories in Isaiah, he's being referenced as a servant. He, he's, he's telling his disciples, don't talk about me, I'm coming in a humble way. But Philippians, before he's even, as he's established at, the, at, at birth, he comes as a servant, we're being told. And then it continues on, and we come to the latter portion of his ministry, and, and the last parable Jesus shares is a physical parable. And we find it in John chapter 13. They're having the last supper. And he got up from the meal while they're eating and he takes off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water in a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, to understand the context culturally really quick, you have to understand this was a time of open sewers and sandaled feet and dirt and dust, and everyone walked everywhere. They, they, there were no automobiles or anything else of that nature. And so now they're coming in, and usually the lowest servant in the household, whoever was lowest on the totem pole, washed the feet of any of the guests that came in. But they just rented this upper room. And, and so whether they didn't have anybody else around because the intimacy, or they'd all gone home for the night, whatever the scene was, nobody had washed anyone's feet. Now, we can sit here and think, okay, we're at a table, we're seated and, and our feet are down here. That's, that's Western style. Eastern style would have it that you are leaning on some pillows here with your feet tucked underneath you, almost just up to the table level and, and around this area. And you're kind of leaning this way and someone's leaning this way and so someone can be leaning on the table here and your foot could be right there. And that's how it would have been around the table. Now remember what I said, how those dirty those feet were. That's why you wash them before the meal. And so you're eating this meal while smelling Peter's feet. Okay? Or, or whoever it was that was there at the time. And nobody had done anything about it. Why hadn't anyone done anything about it? Well, the servants were gone, so well, why didn't anybody else do anything about it? Because you know how it works. The moment I decide I'm going to wash your feet just to help out, then, then next thing you know is James wants me to wash his feet, and, and Mel wants me to wash his feet, and I'll be washing everyone's feet. And not only is that a lousy job to have, but that was the, the role of the lowest servant. And so I'm, I'm recognizing and throwing out to the whole crowd, yeah, the rest of you are just so much better than me. And nobody wanted to do that. So they're sitting here at this meal with these disgusting feet. <laughs> and I can imagine Jesus sitting here going, okay, guys, um, you know what? This is the last supper. I know you don't know that, but it's going to be the last supper. I got one more parable for you, all right? He goes out and starts washing their feet, doing that of the lowest servant in the room. It's a physical parable. <laughs> he comes to Simon Peter, verse 6, who says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He's aware of what this means. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you're going to understand. In the meantime, sit back and chill. In the Greek it says chill. <laughs> verse 7. Don't realize what I'm going to do, but later you'll understand. Verse 8. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. That's beneath you. That's, that's just, no. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Unless I cleanse you, 
you have no part in me. This is not something you can do on your own. Unless I wash you, you'll have no part of me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter says, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I mean, do the whole thing then, my goodness. Peter's an interesting guy. A moment ago, he tells his master he's doing too much. Now he tells him, you're doing too little. Peter should shut up. He's directing the action. But there's something deeper here. Sometimes we show a servant's heart by accepting the service of others for us. If we only serve and we refuse to be served, it can be a sign of a deeply rooted and well-hidden pride. Some of us are quick to serve. We're slow to let others serve us. Now, if all they're doing is serving you, that's a problem. If you're not serving elsewhere. But we should be prepared to receive service as well, too, when it's well met and when it's meant before the Lord. Another interesting thub point that was going on here at this point in time is this. When the first priesthood was inaugurated um, by Moses, uh, Aaron and his sons, they were to dress in their priestly garments, and then Moses washed their feet. In a way, Jesus was not just showing them how they're to be, but he's also anointing them, if you will, into the priesthood. He's cleansing them. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, Peter. Their whole body's clean. You're fine. But you were clean, though, not every one of you, meaning Judas. For he knew he was going to betray him. That was why he said not everyone was clean. It's not just a matter of physical issues. It's allowing an identification with Christ. Verse 12, when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Again, his outer clothes, his inner clothes were still on. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. <laughs> That's funny. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? That's a question. Okay, blank stares. That's what he got. That's what he got, I'm saying. He's, he's saying, do you understand what I've done? Washed their feet. Poured water. Uh, they weren't getting it at all. So he continues on. Blank stares. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant's greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. The prophet Isaiah, talking about what Messiah is going to be. Philippians, before he's even um, operating, saying he's going to come as a servant. He speaks about it throughout all of his ministry. These are just samplings of it. And then he closes out at the Last Supper, his last meal, his last time. He takes the time here to teach them again and express to them what it means to be a servant. I think they got it, incidentally, eventually. I think they, that something clicked in this place because of this reason. Look at how the rest of the New Testament goes. Let's talk about James. 
He begins his salutation as James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. See if you can pick up the pattern here. Peter, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. And I'm a brother of James too. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm called to be an apostle. I'm set apart for the gospel. But the very first thing I'm referencing to you is not those positions, but that I'm a servant. Paul and Timothy both were servants of Christ Jesus. The book of Revelation, wrapping up the whole of the Bible, the very first start off is his revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his John. They got it. It took them a little while to understand what was happening, but they got it. They understood that they were to be servants. They were to serve one another. They were to serve in the society. That they were to operate in a different way. Uh, This is something I want to say real quickly. We used to teach our missions teams this all the time. We taught them the idea of ministering the opposite spirit. And what that meant is this. Um, if someone is ramping up, you get quiet. The scripture says a, 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 a soft answer um, turns away wrath. And so he said, you minister in the opposite spirit. The louder someone gets, the quieter you get. The more obnoxious, the more quiet you get. The more incredibly loud, the more quiet. Before long, they start to quiet down, and you end up with a quieter conversation. The church isn't doing that anymore. The louder the world gets, we get loud right back in our social media or other exchanges that we have. And we go back to the same level until everyone's screaming and yelling. This world needs a church that will minister in the opposite spirit to this world. Which is to go quieter. Which is not to go consumerish, but to go serving. Which is to go gentler in those ways and against the vain ambition. To walk in humility. This is what the church, this is what the world needs. We're ministering the opposite spirit. Everything Jesus did was opposite. We want to be cautious also that, that we're operating in a way that, that, and we're serving in a way that means something. There's a king, he had two servants. One of the servants, for fear of not pleasing his master, rises every day very early and he runs around doing all the things that he believes the king wanted done. He doesn't bother the king with the questions about what the work was. Instead, he just goes from project to project each morning until late at night. The other servant also eager to please his master. He'd rise early as well. But every morning he'd take a few moments and go to the king, ask him about his wishes for the day, find out just what it was he desired to be done. And only after such consultation did his servant step into the work of his day, comprised of tasks and projects the king himself had expressed desire for. The busy servant may have gotten a lot done by the time the inquiring servant even started his work, but which of them is doing the will of the master and pleasing him? Genuine productivity in the kingdom of God is not about getting as much done for God as we can manage. It is doing the good work God's actually given for us today, the things he actually wants us to do. It's, it's, it's discerning and being in relationship and knowing, God, what is it that you want me to do? If there's a need in front and we have the thing that can meet that need and we inquire of God, should I do this? And he doesn't say, no, I think you do it. If you reach for something and and there's a correction on that, maybe we step it back. We have people who who feel that they've been given the gift of song, that they can sing and lead us in worship. And then they get with Jake and a piano and we have to tell them, that is not your gift. (laughs) We saw rodents running from the building the moment you started to sing. The vibrations just shook it. 
And we have to redirect. And a servant sits here and accepts that admonishment and then searches and finds where that can minister to. We can fill our schedules with things that are not supposed to be done. We teach, we had, I guess, 30 to 50 people out at the date night the other night. And I, I think one of the things they discussed there, but one of the things that, that we discuss at least, is that when we are um, um, in relationship with one another, that um, there's something called five love languages in a marriage. People are wired by different things. Quality time, acts of service, physical touch, uh, um, gifts being given to them, or words of affirmation. And so if I'm someone to whom words of affirmation you tell me I'm doing great and, oh, I feel loved now. I feel, I feel great because that, that means a lot to me. Okay? That's what I need. But then if I turn around and I go to someone else and try to give those words of affirmation and their things are acts of service, they're like, you know, words are nice, but actions are better. They're not really being loved or ministered in that way. And so when we're serving someone else, first of all, God, we say, God, what is it you want? How do you want us to express this? But if we're serving someone else in our marriage or in our home or in our work or in the church... And and we're frustrated. I'm I'm loving on this person like anything. I'm trying to serve. Well, are you serving in the way they want or need to be served? Years ago, I had a staff member. We all in the staff have an awareness of our our love languages. We try to be conscious of it. We haven't done that for a while. We need to brush up on it. Had a a staff member who had to sit down with me for a while, had an important personal issue they were processing. We sat down, and in my office, I have two clocks. I have one that's on my desk, so if I'm at my one chair, I can see it. I have one that if I'm at my desk, I can see this other clock, and I keep aware of things and just keep conscious. Quality time is not my love language. It just isn't. I want to get things done efficiently, and so we can sit down, I'll fix you, and then let's go on. Okay? And and I know, I know every woman in the the church just sat there and said, you're such a jerk. Okay, I get it. Okay? I get it. But we're called to be servants, and I do get that. So when the staff member whose, whose issue is quality time sat down and said, I really need to work this out for a bit, and we sat down and we talked, it was probably two hours. And we talked and we walked things through. And I'll never forget this. It was both humorous but also hit, impacted me. When, when we got up, uh, she said to me, she said, um, said, thank you for the time. And she said this, and we both knew what we were talking about. She said, and thank you for not looking at the clock one time the whole time we're discussing things. I know you're not quality time, and I know that was painful for you. <laughs> but what she knew is that it was an act of love that had been given in that moment of time because I recognized that was what was needed in that scenario and situation. A consumer is self-centered. A servant is other-centered. We recognize that we're supposed to minister to others and what their needs and what their issues are. We inquire of God, what is it supposed to be? We also need to realize that the scripture says we'll be blessed if we do these things. We won't necessarily always be thanked or acknowledged. I was in that brief moment of time. And even though she's no longer on staff, we still are in relationship and contact. And, um, but we're not always thanked. In fact, very rarely are we thanked. In fact, oftentimes we realize that we, 
if we can get past the entitlement phase, that we feel at a level of exhaustion, and then we can start to get picky and saying, why is nobody noticing what we're doing? Why isn't anybody acknowledging me? Why isn't anybody giving me a parade of some type or another? Tim Keller talks about pastors who often hear, I work my fingers to the bone. I would say this to servants of the Lord anywhere. Work my fingers to the bone. What thanks do I get? And he says, is that the way it is? Your service was for thanks? Are you in your right mind? Servanthood begins where gratitude and applause ends. Servanthood begins where gratitude and applause ends. One of the ways you can know whether you're becoming a servant is by how you act when people treat you like one. And don't acknowledge what you do. They don't give you the parade. And yet, we still serve. There are individuals You are in a pew today, in a seat today that has been cleaned by somebody, not a staff member, people who come in here every week and just clean. Chairs that have been set up today out there and tables for eating, people who have prepared food, many of them just volunteers. People who are watching children, people that took time off vacation to take young people to to a a missions trip in in Pittsburgh. Uh, Medical personnel, highly paid individuals who've taken vacation time, rare time that they need breaks and quietness, and they've gone and served as they will be in the fall here in Costa Rica and other places. It's their time. These are just volunteers, just people who understand what it means to serve. But they do it without gratitude. They do it without applause. They just serve. Now, as we begin to conclude this, and these are your favorite words for some of you, as we begin to conclude. I showed you a video early on, or rather a picture, and I want to show you that picture again. This is a picture of, of the Ulysses S. Grant's massive memorial. Give us that other shot again. It's a massive memorial. This thing is stretched out. It's huge. It's positioned in the most important place that you can possibly imagine, practically in the middle of everything, and it's been there forever. And, and of course, I mean, Ulysses says Grant saved the Union. Prior to that, all the generals were incompetent. We were losing left and right. We would never have won the war and stayed united as a nation if it wasn't for Grant. So it's so appropriate. But here's something that you need to know, because about two and a half miles away from that is this. This is the lone memorial a relatively small one of Major General John Rollins. John Rollins was a lawyer. He was one who was a uh, friend of General Grant. They knew each other back in Illinois. And when Grant goes into what he's doing, he brings Rollins along, and Rollins became his chief of staff. But here's what was more important in their relationship, as much as he did on a number of other things and served Grant. The most significant way that all the historians know that he served Grant was simply this. He knew Grant's weakness. And Grant's weakness was whiskey. And if he got a taste of it, he'd go crazy drunk. Today we would refer to him as an alcoholic. Back then they just said he was a hard drinking man. He would lose his mind with this. So Rollins, knowing this, stood alongside his friend, and whenever he'd get tempted or start to break down, Rollins was his sponsor, we'd say today. He kept him straight. He kept him aligned. And some people think that he drank his way through the war. That is not true. He did not drink at all when he was in command. But the reason why was Rollins. He stuck to him like glue. 
And every moment that he started to break down and have a failure that would have tossed him to the bottle and possibly lost a battle or a war caused lives, Rollins was the one who sat there and said, you will not do this. And he served Grant all the way through the war. Grant has this massive memorial. Rollins, the one who enabled him, served him, allowed for it happen, this little tiny one. The thing that's interesting is he never seemed to have reached for anything more than that. There are those who are going to have massive, massive trophies. Servants don't care about that. Consumers do. Consumers devour while servants deliver. Consumers are self-centered while servants are other-centered. Consumers chase after trends and transients. Servants chase after Jesus Christ. Which are you? I have one more thing I want to share with you before we close, but I have something I want Jake to share with you. And so I want to bring this portion of the service, and we're not going to be much longer, but I want to bring this to a close because I want to pray with you for a moment. I want you to process what does it mean and are you a servant? As a, as a believer in this church, or are you a consumer? Are you someone who puts others first? Are you someone who found a way to, to minister, to use your gifts, whether it's in the church or out of the church or at home or, or in the workplace? How are you viewed and, and how do you identify? So we pause for a moment. Father, I just, we pause here for a moment. I pray that you would penetrate hearts and minds with the truth of your gospel today. This was something that you began your ministry with and you ended your ministry with. It's something that was prophesied about you, that you speak constantly about this issue of serving and, and servanthood and what it means. You finish with this physical parable of washing these feet that nobody else would wash. So I pray, Lord, that this value, this trait of yours that was so central to your teaching and to your life would permeate our own life. I pray, Lord, that it would permeate my own mind as, well, there's areas I practice this well. There's other areas that I still, because I'm paying for it or because it's in a, in a moment of, of, of relationship of some type or another that I'm not as conscious that, Lord, you'd work this within my own heart and soul, but establish this as much as we would be built on Scripture, that this church would also be built on servanthood. Work it within the DNA of this church, Lord. Bring it to play. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a national uh, public radio uh, segment, aired a ways back. It was on dying well and the living that, uh, and what the living can learn from uh, the lives of the deceased. There was this one segment that had this uh, marketing expert and his employees. They examined 2,000 editorials that were non-paid New York Times obituaries. It was over a 20-month period from 2015 to 2016. And what surprised them was the most common word in all these obituaries, it was the word help. For example, uh, Reverend Rick Curry, who helped veterans and disabled people by running, writing and acting workshops. Or Jocelyn Cooper, who was a grassroots uh, organizer in Brooklyn in the 60s. She helped pave the way um, for the first Amer African-American woman to sit in U.S. Congress. The overwhelming number of these obituaries feature people that were famous and non-famous who did seemingly extraordinary things. They made a positive dent in the fabric of life. They helped. In the church, we call that serving. And if you think that you are too small to make a difference in whatever your gift and your ability is, try spending a night alone in a small room with a mosquito and then come back and talk to me about that one. 
And the final thing is this. You may not have a song ever sung for you. You may not ever get any applause this side of heaven. You may serve quietly and faithfully for decades, and many of you have. But there will be a time that you are going to have the most explosive joy of all eternity as you stand before God himself and have him of all people say to you, as Jesus outlined in Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things these last 80 years or so. We just got a whole new planet and a whole brand new universe to be worked out. So I'm going to make you in charge of a lot of other things now. You got a whole new role for eternity. Consumers devour. Servants deliver. Consumers chase after trends. Servants chase after Christ. Can you stand with me, please? Father, I pray again that this teaching would work in the heart and mind of our church. I ask your blessing upon all those who've served even yet today. For others who will leave this place now and go back to their home and serve in specific fashions today. For others who will go into the workplace tomorrow with a new mindset and a new lens through which to view things and will begin a life of serving their fellow workers and their bosses, even their employees, Lord God, that would change the tenor and tone that we'll start to look at our, our social media and all these things in a different way as servants of Christ, not as entitled consumers. Speak to us and guide us as your church, I pray in Jesus' name.